Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. And it is that final great world leader and his assistant who will play a role in his ascent to power that is the focus of our chapter in Revelation today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 13 as we look at the diabolical duo, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, at this very moment, evil forces are working behind the scenes to bring about total destruction. And in the final years of Earth's history, Satan will receive some additional help from two key individuals. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains who the Antichrist and the false prophet are and what they'll be doing during the tribulation. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome to this midweek edition of Pathway to Victory as we continue our study called Final Conquest. Now, before we open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 13, I'm pleased to remind you about our upcoming Pathway to Victory cruise to Alaska, June of 2024. Our ship departs from the world-class port of Vancouver, British Columbia, and for seven days we'll explore the majesty of Alaska together. We'll also enjoy the music of Rebecca St. James and Michael O'Brien and the comedy of Dennis Swanberg. I'll be teaching from God's Word along the way as well. Go to ptv.org and take time to look at the itinerary and also reserve your premier cabin location while there's still time. Again, this is the Pathway to Victory Cruise to Alaska, June 15 to 22, 2024. Well, my latest book on prophecy is hot off the presses, and it's been decades in the making. Seriously, my study about the end times began in high school and continues to this day. The result is a brand new book that answers five very common questions about God's timeline for the future. My new book is titled Mysteries of the End Times. If you're uncertain about America's place in the end times or John's reference to the day of the Lord, you're not alone. And you'll find answers regarding these fascinating topics in my new book, Mysteries of the End Times. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. We'll say more about my book and other resources later in today's program. Right now, let's give our complete attention to Revelation chapter 13. I titled today's message, The Diabolical Duo. In his novel, The Brothers Karamazov, Russian writer Fyodor Dostoevsky has a character called the Grand Inquisitor who makes the argument that given a choice between freedom and security, most people will choose security. You know, that's a debate we're having, by the way, in our country right now. Where is the balance between freedom and security? In the past, tyrants like Adolf Hitler, Stalin, Ho Chi Minh have all used the promise of security to their people to accumulate great power and become the dictators that they were. And the Bible teaches that in the final seven years of Earth's history, 
there will be another dictator who will rise to power, not by force, but by people willingly saying, we will give up our freedom in order to free you to promise us security. And it is that final great world leader and his assistant who will play a role in his ascent to power that is the focus of our chapter in Revelation today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 13 as we look at the diabolical duo. Revelation chapter 13. The last time in chapter 12, we looked at the dragon, Satan, and the role that he plays in the great tribulation. And now in chapter 13, we look at the other two members of that unholy trinity, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Let's first of all look at the beast who comes out of the sea, the Antichrist. And before we look at the text, let me just make three observations about the Antichrist that might dispel some common misconceptions you have about him. First of all, in fact, he will be accepted by the mass of people, not rejected. Secondly, he will be attractive, not repulsive. And thirdly, he will be extraordinary, not ordinary. He will be unlike any leader this world has ever seen. Someone has written about the Antichrist. Everything about him will be extraordinary. He will possess the eloquence of Abraham Lincoln, the charm of John F. Kennedy, the wit of Winston Churchill, the military genius of Napoleon, the vision of Martin Luther King Jr., and the intelligence of Albert Einstein. Now, with that introduction, let's look at the Antichrist, his characteristics mentioned in verses 1 to 4. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Remember the dragon, Satan. And then I saw a beast coming out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads, as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon, Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast, the Antichrist. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? Will you notice the four characteristics John mentions of this Antichrist? First of all, he is empowered by Satan. The picture is the dragon. Satan is standing on the seashore, looking out over the sea. And just like a magician waving his hand over a hat and then pulling out a rabbit, you find Satan in a sense, waving his hand over the sea, and out of it comes this horrible beast, the Antichrist. He is empowered by Satan. Secondly, he will be a Gentile. He'll be a Gentile. How do we know that? The sea in Scripture always represents the Gentile nations. In Daniel 7, uh, Daniel talks about the sea of humanity, and out of the sea came four Gentile nations, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. He will be a Gentile. Thirdly, he will be a powerful ruler. He's described as having ten horns. 
Horns were always symbols of strength in the Bible. And these 10 horns represent most probably the 10 final world nations over which the Antichrist will preside and he will amalgamate them into one world empire under his reign. The seven heads, what are we to make of that? That represents all of the worldwide empires in history from John's perspective. Uh, in verse 10 of Revelation 17, John talks about five world kingdoms that have already occurred in past. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, uh, Medo-Persia, Greece. Five have already passed. And then John says, one is currently, that is Rome. And then he says, but one is yet to come. That uh, kingdom that is yet to come is the revived Roman Empire, the 10-nation confederacy over which the Antichrist will preside. He is powerful. Notice here also, uh, the Antichrist possesses the qualities of three fierce animals. He has the swiftness and agility of a leopard, the brutality and cunning of a bear, and the strength and majesty of the lion. What are his activities? What will he do here on earth? I want you to notice three activities, verses five to eight describe. There was given to him, that is the Antichrist, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is to those who dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Verse eight, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain. Notice his three activities. First of all, the Antichrist will not be fearful to blaspheme the name of God. He will claim to be God himself and he will say horrible things about the true God. Secondly, he will attack God's people. And third, the Antichrist will attract the worship of many. Now that is the Antichrist. But beginning in verse 11, John describes the third person of this satanic trinity who will assist the Antichrist in his rise to power. We call him the beast out of the earth or the false prophet. Look at his characteristics, three of them, all in one verse, verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. First of all, John says, this false prophet comes out of the earth. What John is suggesting here is this false prophet is not quiet as fearsome as the Antichrist is. He comes out of the earth. Secondly, he has less power than Antichrist. The Antichrist had 10 horns. This false prophet has two horns, uh, two symbols of power. He has less power than the Antichrist. Thirdly, he speaks deceptively. He has two horns like a lamb. A lamb is warm and fuzzy and cuddly. Everybody likes a lamb. Uh, he will have that appearance to people. He will speak very smoothly in an appealing way and therefore attract many people to follow him and therefore follow the Antichrist. 
He's like a lamb, but make no mistake about it, he speaks like the dragon. He speaks for Satan himself, which is why he is called the false prophet in Revelation 16, 13. Everything he says is a lie. How does he assist the Antichrist? When you put this chapter together with the other chapters we're going to study in the future, it may look something like this. At the beginning of the seven years of tribulation, as the Antichrist ascends to power, the false prophet is a primarily religious figure who presides over an apostate church. Revelation 17 calls that apostate church uh, the whore of Babylon. Pretty descriptive, isn't it? We'll talk about that when we get to Revelation 17. However, halfway through the seven years, when the Antichrist plants himself in the temple in Jerusalem and breaks his peace covenant with uh, Israel, at this point, uh, this false church is destroyed by the Antichrist himself. He decides he doesn't need this false religion. And the false prophet, instead of being the head of the church, now moves over into the political realm for the final three and a half years of Earth's history. What are the activities of the false prophet? What will he do? Look at verses 12 to 18. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, the Antichrist, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many who does not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on the right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. I want you to notice the activities of this false prophet. First of all, he will induce people to follow after the Antichrist. Secondly, he will be able to perform miraculous signs. But perhaps the greatest sign he will be able to perform is this. He will order that an image be made of the beast and placed in the temple in Jerusalem. And the beast will appear to come to life and be able to speak and be able to actually give orders to kill those who do not worship the beast. Whoever refuses to worship the beast during this period of time will be killed. The third activity of the false prophet will be this. He will restrict commerce to those who do not worship the Antichrist. Look at verse 16, and he causes all, the small, the great, the rich, and the poor, and the free men, and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, 
Again, the word all doesn't mean every human being alive. Some will refuse to take the mark of the beast. But by all, he's simply saying all classes of humanity, the rich, the poor, the free, and the slaves, all classes will be given a mark on the right hand or on their forehead, and he will provide that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. In order to be able to buy necessities for yourself, your family, gas for your car, electricity for your home, food for you and your family, you'll have to have this mark either on your hand or on your forehead. Now you've read or heard countless speculations about how that's gonna happen, a microchip, some other way to identify that you are a legitimate purchaser. If you did not worship the beast, you had no ability to buy food for yourself or for your loved ones. My friend Erwin Lutzer writes about this choice between security and freedom. He says, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, a cartoon appeared in a Russian newspaper picturing a fork in the road. On one path was labeled freedom. The other path was labeled sausage. As we might guess, the path to freedom had few takers. The path to sausage was crowded with footprints. When given a choice, most people probably will choose bread and sausage above the free market and individual liberties. The Bible says that in these final seven years, those who are alive will have a choice to make. One choice is to refuse the mark of the beast, to experience the horror of starvation. That's one thing. But can you imagine watching your children, your grandchildren starve to death? because you're not able to provide food for them. One option will be to worship Christ and refuse to take the mark of the beast. The other choice is to take the mark of the beast and experience the wrath of the lamb for all eternity. Amazingly, most people will choose to take the mark of the beast to fill their stomachs rather than care for their eternal souls. Verse 18, John says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number is that of a man and the number is 666. From the last part of verse 17 in this verse, we see there is a relationship between the name of the beast written out in Greek and the number 666. Six is the number of a man. It always falls short of God's perfection, the number of seven. Somehow, the name of the beast and the number 666 are interrelated. And in these final seven years of Earth's history, those who have wisdom will be able to identify who the beast is by his name and the number 666. Now, there's been all kind of speculation through the years about who this Antichrist is using some elaborate system of the number 666. People have identified Stalin, Hitler, Henry Kissinger, and so many others as the Antichrist. That's a fool's game to try to do that. I like what the late preacher J. Vernon McGee said. 
He said, I would suggest that we not waste our time trying to identify a person by this number. Instead, we need to present Jesus Christ in such a way that we might reduce the population of those who have to go through the great tribulation and who will therefore know what the number of the beast is. That's a much better way to spend our energy, to share the gospel so that others will not experience this great tribulation and know the identity of the beast. But I want to go one step further. An even better use of our energy is to make sure that we're not one of that number in the great tribulation who experiences the wrath of the beast and ultimately the wrath of the Lamb of God that will endure forever and ever. The most important thing to do is to make sure in this generation that you're a part of the group that will escape the great tribulation, that you don't have to experience this period of tribulation for you and your family and that you never have to fear the wrath of the Lamb of God on your life because you died with your sins unforgiven. I close today by going back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they might all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. And for what reason did God send this deluding influence? Verse 10 says, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Please listen to me. I don't understand this, but I know it and I've seen it in 40 years of ministry. It is possible to say no to God once too often. It is possible to so harden your heart against the gospel or just to neglect the gospel so many times that you reach a point where you are not able to believe. Where instead of offering you grace, God offers you judgment instead. Don't ever say no once too often. If today you have the understanding that you are a sinner who needs God's forgiveness and that Christ is the one, the only one who can offer you that forgiveness, don't wait one moment longer and risk experiencing the wrath of the Antichrist or even worse, the wrath of Christ himself. Ignoring the warnings in the book of Revelation bears serious consequences, and it's my prayer that you will say yes to the call of Jesus today. In closing, let me explain that today's original sermon includes far more teaching than we had time to share on this program. In a moment, David will explain how you can receive the unedited collection of this study of Revelation called Final Conquest. In addition, I'd love to send you my latest book on Bible prophecy. I gave this one the title, Mysteries of the End Times, Five Little-Known Truths About God's Plan for the Future. I wrote this exclusive book in response to five common questions I receive about prophecy. One chapter is titled, The Mystery of America in the End Times. Another chapter is about the mystery of the Tree of Life. 
There are five chapters in all, and I want to send you a copy right away. Again, my book is called Mysteries of the End Times, and it's yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Let me add this closing word. I truly believe God gave me this teaching on His final conquest for such a time as this, because it's very obvious that in light of the growing tension around the world, we are sensing the birth pains that precede the Lord's coming again. Your support of Pathway to Victory will be used to keep our ministry strong for you, your family, and for listeners and viewers around the country. So, Thanks for your generous financial support today. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request a copy of Mysteries of the End Times, the brand new book by Dr. Robert Jeffress. Here's our phone number, 866-999-2965, or go to ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, we'll also send you the complete CD and DVD teaching sets for this month's series on the Book of Revelation. In addition, you'll receive a copy of the best-selling book by Dr. Jeffress titled Final Conquest. To request these resources, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also send your request by mail. Just write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. The first time Jesus came to earth, he brought salvation to all who would believe. But the next time Jesus comes to earth, he'll bring judgment to those who reject him. Hear a message called God's Terrible Swift Sword. That's Thursday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.